A reading from the book of Isaiah. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which was not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. And afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Ah, oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to a slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in him. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, New Testament reading from the book of Philippians chapter 2. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do confess together that you are Lord, Lord of our lives, Lord of this church, Lord of all. We thank you, Lord, for the gift it is for us to be together on this day. We thank you for the great tradition that we stand in and celebrating on this Sunday with palms and with the procession, Lord. And as we pray for our time together, we just lift up um, your church. We give thanks that throughout the world, um, Hosanna is being sung out um, by people who know you. And Lord, we pray that more will come to know you as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We ask all this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So when we look at um, God's work uh, among his people, um, as recorded um, in the Old Testament, uh, we see um, that the Lord um, raised up among his people three offices and three very important and unique offices. The office of priest, office of prophet, and the office of king. And again, these are distinct. They're different from one another. Now, sometimes there's a little bit of an overlap, right? King David actually um, uh, prophesied, certainly through the Psalms that the Lord inspired him uh, to write. Um, the prophet Isaiah, um, as best as we can tell, probably served as a priest um, in the temple. Uh, but these are actually sort of the exceptions. In general, we actually see that it's important, right, that the priest is different from the prophet that is different from the king. And so, for instance, prophets are often called to confront the priests and the kings. Um, to, um, on behalf of God and through the power of God, to point out ways that they are not honoring their office. Remember when um, the prophet Nathan was called by God to confront King David when King David had sinned against Bathsheba and sinned against the Lord. Right? We can imagine Nathan perhaps was a bit nervous about this, going to the king and pointing in his face and saying, you have sinned, but that's the calling of a prophet, right? And we need prophets. They needed prophets to confront um, those in power. Right, or there's a moment actually where King Uzziah, um, who's had great success um, as a king, decides that he can do things that only the priest can do, and he actually goes into the temple, and he offers um, incense in the temple. Priests come in following him, and again, boldly confront the king and say, this is not right, you're a king, you're not a priest, this is not what you're allowed to do. Uzziah thinks, you know, how dare they confront me? I'm a king. And then God actually strikes him with leprosy to make kind of clear that God is on the side of the priest. <laughs> but at this moment, and Uzziah sees that. He sees he has overstepped his calling. And so when we think actually how important it is that those roles, those offices remain um, distinct and separate from one another in the Old Testament, how amazing it is that with the coming of Jesus, right, we see one who is fully king, who is fully prophet, right, and who is fully priest. That he fulfills all three of those offices. This is something that has been celebrated uh, by the church for centuries. That Jesus is our king. He is our prophet. He is our rabbi, our teacher. He is the one who speaks the words of God to us. And that he is our priest. 
and that he is a king like no other. He is a prophet like no other. He is a priest like no other. And I want to consider um, Jesus fulfilling those three roles and how we see that happening on Palm Sunday, uh, the triumphant entry, as we call um, this moment. First, if you look at our reading there that we read um, outside um, on page four of your bulletin, we see very clearly right, that Jesus is king. And actually what's, marking, what's markable, there are many things that are worth marking about this passage, is that Jesus wants us to see that he is king. He's being very deliberate here in showing us, I am coming as king. And in showing the people who were gathered there right, at the triumphant entry. He's very deliberate, right? We're told, verse 1, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He is taking the lead. He knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem, right? He knows that this is part of the fulfillment of his mission is to go into Jerusalem to die. And he is leading his people there as a king. And then we have, right, all this um, uh, information, right, about five, six verses about the cult and getting the cult. And maybe even when you heard it read, you thought, okay, we get it. All right, all right, we understand that he got a cult. Like, that's a lot of information about the cult. And clearly, Luke is telling us this is a big deal. Right? This is deliberate. When Pete and I were talking about this, Pete pointed out, it's not like somebody was just walking by with a cult and said, hey, you want, a, want my cult? And Jesus was like, well, I guess so. Sure, I'll you know, hop on the cult, right? This was a very deliberate, planned out moment. Right? We see, actually, the leadership of Jesus. that he says, go and get this cult. Why is the cult so important? Well, thankfully, we have Matthew and John um, who help us in their accounts of the triumphant entry. But Luke here is wanting us to make connections, right? He's wanting us to think, what is it about a cult? And one place that we can look to is in the prophecy of Zechariah, right? Again, the Old Testament prophets. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right? When Jesus came in on a colt, he was basically sending the message. The prophecy of Zechariah is being fulfilled right now. I am coming in as a king. I am coming in bringing salvation. Also, if we wonder, why does Luke say so much about the tying and untying of the colt? He actually repeats that multiple times. Well, that's probably drawing a connection to another Old Testament prophecy, actually going all the way back to the book of Genesis, when the patriarch Jacob was blessing his 12 sons, right, who became the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what he says over Judah. Keep in mind, Jesus came in the line of Judah, right, the line of David. David is a descendant of Judah. And Jacob, in blessing Judah, says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, right? The scepter, a sign of kingship, of royalty, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And then following right on this is these curious verses, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. So you have in that prophecy this imagery of a colt being bound, being tied and untied. Right? There's a connection there. Right? We're able to see that and say, oh, here is the king right? who Judah, right? you know, many years before, have prophesied, or Jacob had prophesied over Judah, here he comes, right? The lion of Judah, the, the true king who comes from the line of Judah, right? And the people understand what's happening, right? They get the message. What do they do as Jesus comes in? Well, one thing they do is they begin to praise him as they take off their garments and they lay, lay them before the colt. Why are they doing that? Once again, as we look at um, the Old Testament and, and see what precedent has been set, there in 2 Kings, there's the story of Jehu, 
um, who um, was anointed uh, by a prophet as a king before he had become king. So this prophet basically came to Jehu and said, you're going to be king. I am anointing you and telling you God is going to make you king. Jehu experienced this. He went to his followers, right, his supporters, and said, a prophet just anointed me as king. What did his supporters do to show that they were supportive of this? They took off their cloaks. They put them down on the ground, and they allowed Jehu to walk on them. They were saying, right, we submit to you. We agree that you are called to be king. So that's what the people are doing here, right? They are saying, we're going to do that. Right now, we're going to show that we believe Jesus is king, that that is his calling. And they praise him, quoting from Psalm 118. Uh, We talked about Psalm 118 um, uh, last week. Jesus quotes it after his triumphant entry, which we looked at last week. It's not surprising that people would be reciting Psalm 118. It was a classic psalm that you would say as a pilgrim when you were coming into Jerusalem. So that was what people would often sing as they came into Jerusalem, Psalm 118. It celebrates the faithfulness of God, of following God and honoring his ways. But they've changed the words a little bit. The Psalm 118 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they have changed it to, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. When Jesus begins his ministry, as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, there are a few different times where he um, casts demons out of people. As he's casting these demons out, the demons cry out, you are the Christ, right? You are the Son of God. And Jesus tells them to be quiet. Now, why does he tell them to be quiet? Well, one, because they're demons, and we don't want to hear demons, right? So it's good to tell demons to be quiet. But secondly, what he's doing there is he's basically saying, This is not the time to proclaim yet that I am Christ, right? Clearly, he is showing that he is Christ. He is demonstrating in his words and his actions that he is the Messiah. But it's not yet the time for that, you know, bold proclamation. Matter of fact, later in his ministry, there's a moment where you may remember he says to his disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter boldly speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus basically says, that's right, and be quiet about it. Right? Don't say it yet. Right? Don't start teaching that yet. The time is not right. And here, clearly he's saying, now's the time. Right? Now the time is right to boldly say, I am the king. That I am the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And so you actually have right, the Pharisees. If you look there at the, the top of page 5, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Right? They were saying, tell them to be quiet. Right? You know, which again, previously Jesus has done. But not this time. Right? Not this time. He's not going to um, tell them to be quiet. Right? The Pharisees probably disagree, right? knowing where most of the Pharisees were at. They probably didn't agree that Jesus was king. But also what may be happening here is they're really nervous. Right? They're thinking, man, if it gets out that people were praising this guy as king and calling him king, and maybe if it gets out that we were here, we're going to be seen as revolutionaries. We're going to be seen as we're trying to overthrow the government, that we believe this guy is the Messiah. And Jesus is basically saying, that's right. That's what's going to happen, right? And, and I want that to happen. He says to them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I have to say, I, I feel like I haven't always appreciated um, this, this verse. I think I've always, uh, are used to just kind of read it as like, that's just Jesus sort of being dramatic there. You know, it sounds cool. You know, I mean, if you speak, make them quiet, well, the rocks will cry out. It's kind of, you know, hyperbole on Jesus' part. And I'll admit, I have to say, when I hear this, I often think of the Muppet Show. You know, whenever you have like inanimate objects, you know, you know, making, you know, crying or singing, my mind goes to the Muppets. I grew up in the 70s. So, you know, that's a, uh, the golden age of the Muppets. Um, But actually what Jesus is saying here is really profound. It's not just sort of an exaggerated statement. What he's saying is true. He is saying, I am a king that if people don't recognize me, creation does. The the very earth, the stones cry out that I am king. 
if we doubt this, just listen. We'll, we'll, we'll have the crucifixion reading uh, from Luke at the end of the service, right? And you'll hear it. Right? What happens is Jesus is dying on the cross. It gets dark, right? Matthew tells us there was an earthquake, right? The earth responds to the death of the king. Jesus is acknowledging, I'm a king unlike any other king. And so we see him, right, being celebrated as a king, but what the people didn't understand yet, right, what the disciples didn't understand yet is, yes, he was coming as a king, but a unique king, the king of kings, the one unlike any other king. He is one that very creation worships, that we know actually all things were made through him. And yet this king, who's celebrated by the very earth, right, by, by inanimate objects, right, willingly went to his death, courageously. He's also a king like no other. What other king would come triumphantly into a city knowing he was going to be humiliated and was going to die a, a, a death of shame, right? Jesus scorned the shame, right? But many saw it as that, as a death of shame. And that's the courage of our king, the love of our king. So we see, right, his kingship unlike any other, right? A king recognized and celebrated by all creation. But we also see that he's a prophet. For as he comes into the city, he stops and he looks over the city and he weeps over it, which that's what prophets do. Right? When we look at the prophets, right, we see that they speak the words of God, right? They enact the words of God. They're often called not just to speak, but to act out on things, to demonstrate to people God's ways. But so often we see the prophets doing that with a heavy heart, right? They do it as those who feel deeply what they're sharing, right? They're not like ventriloquist dummies, right? Who, you know, God speaks to them, but they don't feel anything, right? No. Right, Jeremiah is often referred to as the crying prophet, right? Because he, like so many of the prophets, their hearts broke. They spoke out words of judgment. They spoke out words of truth, right? But they did so feeling the heaviness of God's judgment, feeling the heaviness of the idolatry that they were speaking again. And Jesus feels it here, like the other prophets, right? And like the other prophets, he warns. He points out, as you have rejected the way of God, you will experience judgment. It's sobering. Right? Perhaps makes us uneasy if we know about the, the siege of Jerusalem, right? That Jesus would speak this way. Again, this is, we see this before in the prophets. The prophets warned the people of Israel, right? If you continue to turn to idols, if you continue to reject God and his ways, you will experience exile. You'll experience defeat at the hands of your enemy. And that's what happened. And here Jesus is saying, because you have rejected the one who comes in the name of the Lord, there will be judgment. Right? It's, it's sobering. But again, he says it right, with a heavy heart. The very end, he says, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Sometimes in some translations that actually says, because you did not know the time of the visitation of God. Clearly, right? Who's he speaking of in the visitation? Well, he's speaking of God, but who's visiting? Who's coming into Jerusalem? It's him. And here's where we see Jesus as a prophet unlike any others. Jesus actually as a prophet speaks a lot about himself. He talks about who he is. And when we look at the other prophets, sometimes they speak about themselves. Usually when they're speaking about themselves, it's to complain about how hard it is to be a prophet. We can't blame them, right, uh, for the heaviness that they feel. Jesus, when he speaks about himself, he speaks about his coming as the coming of the Lord. Right, the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. We see that throughout the prophets. And Jesus is basically saying, now's the day. Today's the day of visitation, and it's me. Again, any other prophet, we'd say, how dare they, right? How dare they talk about themselves as the coming of the Lord? Jesus can, because it's true. He's a prophet unlike any others who prophesies his own coming. 
prophesies his own um, identity as the divine son of God. But where is the priesthood in this, right? We can say, well, how is he a priest? I can see where he's a king. I can see where he's a prophet. If we think of prophets as standing sort of with the Lord and speaking to the people on behalf of God, saying, this is what the Lord says. This is how the Lord is calling you. Then we can think of priests as standing with the people facing God and saying, I say this on behalf of the people. I represent the people, right? That's what priests would do. In a sense, it's still what priests do. Priesthood today, we understand very differently than the Old Testament priests. But there's a still a representative role that's there. Jesus, right, as the great high priest, is standing with the people. And he is bringing an offering to God. He is making intercessions to God. And yet he's a priest like no other because he brings himself as the offering. He's coming as our representative, right, into Jerusalem, bringing himself before the Lord, knowing, again, as we said in the opening prayers outside, knowing that his crown would be a crown of thorns, that his throne would be the cross, right? that he would be proclaimed king of the Jews in mockery, even though it is true. And so he comes as that. And we see that so powerfully and so um, painfully right in our Isaiah reading. In so many ways, the Lord spoke through Isaiah to show us, well, this is who your priest is. He was pierced for our transgressions. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's stricken for the transgressions of the people. He makes intercessions on behalf of the people. Jesus, again, comes as the representative of priests like no other, bringing himself as a sacrifice before the Lord on our behalf. Sometimes it's, it's questioned, it's, it's, it's pondered, right? Is it possible that some of those people that were proclaiming Jesus as king on Palm Sunday were some of those same people actually crying out, crucify him on Good Friday? Now, that's certainly possible. We know, right, that people can, can change, and we know, right, that, that there was a lot of misunderstanding of what it meant that Jesus is the Messiah. But I wonder, actually, is it more likely that those, you know, disciples, and it was a big group of disciples, it certainly included the 12 disciples, but we get the impression it was much more than that who were celebrating um, on Palm Sunday. Um, if they actually, you know, reacted as we know the disciples reacted, you know, taking Judas out of the mix, you know, did some of them, like Peter, deny that they had ever praised Jesus as king? Did many of them, like the disciples, were they just scared? Were they just confused? Or were they just thinking, what's, what's going on? How can this be? That's what my guess would be, many of these who had celebrated Jesus as king as they saw his crucifixion, as they heard about what happened, just thought, I don't get it. Right? It was so obvious that he was king. Like, were we mistaken? How could we have been wrong to praise him in that way? We're told, and we'll hear this again in our final reading, that there were those, as Jesus died on the cross, who mocked him, saying, he saved himself. Why can't he save others? But I wonder maybe if some of the people asking that question weren't doing it in mockery, we're genuinely actually wondering about that. We're thinking, he raised Lazarus from the dead, right? I mean, he healed blind people. We saw him heal people. Why wouldn't he save himself? Why wouldn't he, right? I mean, he's the king. Of course he can save himself. Why wouldn't he? And we have the answer. And we're not actually uh, saying the Nicene Creed today. We have a lot of other things going on in the service, but we say it almost every Sunday. And what do we say in the creed, right? We have the very simple answer to why didn't he save himself? For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. For our sake, he was crucified upon the cross. Right, we're right there. Have you ever noticed that? We're there in the Nicene Creed. That's us. Right? It's for us and for our salvation. It's for our sake. 
And so as we um, have the crucifixion or the account of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion read at the end of the service, I just encourage you to be listening. Be listening and taking note of, this is how Jesus is as a king. Right? This is what my king is like. So to take note of the royal moments that we see even in his arrest, even in his crucifixions, we see him acting as king. Take note of the ways we see him acting as prophet. Even as he's going to his death, how he speaks the truth over people as he proclaims God's word. Take note of the ways that we see him as priest. And ask the question, Lord, what, what do I have today to receive from you as my priest? What are you perhaps saying, this is what I bring to you? Receive it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that it is for us and for our salvation that you came down from heaven. We thank you this for our sake that you were crucified. Lord, we pray that you would speak um, to us, Lord. and Give us opportunities to speak out the truth of who you are to others. Lord, we pray that all would know that he came for our salvation. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.